Amen. Thanks, Wes. You guys hear me okay? Good morning. That was good. I like it. Let's do it again. Good morning. All right. Hey, uh, just want to just want to introduce myself. I'm Chris. Some of you I know. Some of you I don't. I'm a uh, pastor and resident here at Legacy Church, and Pastor Luke is in Texas. So um, I get the get the privilege and honor and just just awesomeness to get to speak to you guys today. I'm super excited about it. I'm glad you guys are here with us, enjoying your summer. Everybody's summer going good? Woo! All right, good. Hey, um, I'm hoping today to answer a question for you. I don't, I don't know if I'll be able to, but I'm pretty sure that no one in this room is immune to what I'm going to talk about today. You're just not. Everyone's experienced it on some level. Everyone's been a victim to it. Everyone has, everyone has felt it, right? There's nothing, there's, there's no one in this room that's never been in the situation or felt what, what I'm going to talk about today. So I'm hoping that today I can give you a remedy to that or, or at least something that you can, you can cope and deal with it because I don't think it just ends for us today. I think we will, we will always have it, but, but at least we know how to deal with it when it comes. And that is that's frustration. Is anybody in here that ever gets frustrated? Nobody. I'm the only one, right? Yeah, sh- thanks, Sean. All right, good. Frustration, right? And I'm not talking about, we, we look at sometimes, we look at frustration and we think it, we kind of, we, we morph it into anger. But understand that anger is something totally different, right? Anger is, anger is a, you, you kind of, you usually react when you're mad. You usually react when you get angry. But frustration is one of those deals that's funny. We, we kind of deal with it internally a lot of times. Or we, we talk about it to ourselves. We're passive aggressive with it. Maybe we're passive. We respond in different, in different ways, right? And so we're, so we, we get frustrated with different things. We get frustrated with politics, right? We get frustrated with who's the president. You know, what the Supreme Court's decided, we get frustrated with, with things in politics and, and things that we out of our control. Who's governor, who's, who's well, not out of our control because we can vote, but you know what I mean. Jobs. Right? Why can't this person just fill up the copier with paper? Right? Why, you're in your head, right? You're walking to the copy machine, and, and, and for whatever reason, when you get there, it's empty every single time. And you're thinking, why can't they just fill it up? And you know it's the one guy. There's always one person in the office that never fills the paper. Am I right? No. I'm not right. Okay, I'm going to keep going then. How about, how about in community, right? When we're talking our calm groups, when we're in our living room. Now, do we get frustrated with people that are sitting across from us? Can we just be honest? I mean, this guy, this guy always shows up late. Why is he always showing up late, right? This, this lady never brings what she signs up for for food. This guy smells like soup. Why, why does this guy smell like soup? We, we've been there. Everybody's been there. We know it. We just, we're not talking about it. Your family. How about your family? You ever get frustrated with your family? Kids? Parents? Right? Cousins, uncles, aunts? Immediate, distant family? Everyone gets frustrated with family. Right? Why is the, in my house, why, why is the, my wife probably experienced this frustration this morning. Why is, the, why is the bathroom all wet? I mean, he took a shower. Why is the bathroom all wet? Well, listen, the centipede, house centipede that decided to come into the shower with me this morning... I had to do battle with and get out of the shower and deal with it, right? But, but in house centipedes, if you haven't experienced house centipedes, then I feel very, very happy for you because house centipedes are not fun. And I wish I could go back to a time when I didn't know what a house centipede was. But what about God? What about God? Do we ever get frustrated with God? Right? Do we ever, do we ever sometimes, we just find ourselves in a position where we're like, God, why, why am I in this spot? What have you, what, why do you have me here? Why have you given me these things? We're frustrated with what he gives us. We're frustrated with, with what he hasn't given us. 
right? We find ourselves in that spot a lot, or I do, at least. And what, what I want to talk about today is in those, situa- in those situations when we, we find ourselves frustrated with family, with, with our jobs, with politics, community, whatever it is, that there's, there's grace. We, we have to extend grace. We have to show grace. We have to have grace in those moments. Um, overall, just, just all those moments. So this morning, we're going to talk and focus a lot on grace. But what we've, what we've seen thus far is for the past, for a while now, it seems like forever, we've been in the book of Acts, going through a series of Acts last week. Uh, Alan spoke out of the book of Psalms, but before that, we've been, we've been in the series on Acts, and that's where, we're, that's where we're at today. So what we've seen is, we've seen, we've seen Jesus has been crucified, right? We've seen the apostles, we've seen the Holy Spirit fall. We've seen the first Christian martyr. We've, we've been introduced to Saul, who becomes Paul, and he's converted. So that's where we're at. And Paul and Barnabas, uh, we left off the week before last, they're, they're in Antioch. And so we, we've seen this, this happen and come, and that's where we we find ourselves, so turn to chapter uh, 15 in Acts. That's going to be the text we go on today. We're going to go over that whole, uh, pretty much that whole chapter and discuss that. So turn there, flip there um, on your, in your devices or your apps, and um, we're going to get going. So I'm going to be reading verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Verse 3. So being sent on their way by the church, passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversions of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders And they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Okay, so what you have is you have Paul and Barnabas, right? These guys have, we already know some of the persecution that Paul Paul has faced, right? So imagine everything he's done thus far that we know about up until chapter 14, 15. Everything he's done on some level he had to be frustrated, right? On some level, he's got to be going, I've done this. God's asked me. I've been obedient. I've preached the gospel. People have gotten saved. We've seen miraculous things happen. And then we have these Pharisees teaching and these Jewish Christians teaching this doctrine of they have to become Jews first before they can be Christians. Does that make sense? I mean, it's real, it's, it's frustrating. I mean, I, I, if I was Paul, I'd be, I'd be super frustrated. And we see a little bit of that. It says in verse uh, two, it says, no small dissension and debate. This was a pretty big deal. This wasn't this wasn't them just, just kicking back at Starbucks and having a conversation, right? This was a debate. This was something that was very heavy. It was very, it was very real, and it uh, looks like they, they decided that they couldn't figure it out on their own. So they decided to send Paul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem, right, to the, to the parent church, if you will, to have, it, to have it looked at and talked about with the elders there. So that's where, that's where they head, head back. But on their way, they're stopping, right? They're on their way from Antioch to Jerusalem, and they're stopping on their way, and they're telling what God's been doing with the Gentiles, and it's bringing joy to everybody, right? So they don't let the, the situation damper their story. They don't let the situation damper their testimony. They're still pursuing and telling others what God has been doing. They're declaring all, it says. But when they get there, they said, the, the, the Pharisees that rose up said, it is, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So what they're referencing is, is the Mosaic law, right? These Jewish Christians. And, and really the Mosaic law kind of has two arms. It has a, it has a moral law, and a ritual law. 
And so the moral law was not in question. Moral law, think the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments is moral law. They, they weren't questioning that. They were questioning the ritual law, which was the particular part of the ritual law was circumcision. So ritual law, think, think Leviticus. You know, wash like this, don't eat this. Right? That's, that's kind of the ritual law. So they're thinking, thinking along the lines of, of that. And in verse 6, we keep going. It says, The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, again, a debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Okay, so Peter's there, right? I mean, heavy hitters are in the room. We got Paul, we got Barnabas, we got Peter. A minute we're going to hear from James. Um, Jesus' brother. So there's some, there's some heavy hitters in the room, okay? And so, they're, again, they, they arrive, and this debate sparks up. So they're, they're, they're doing their thing, and Peter just stands up, right? Probably a little frustrated. He stands up and says, he, he references, because we're, we're looking at a timeline of about 10 years. So he references all the way back to Acts chapter 10, which is when Peter was in Cornelius' house. If you remember that message that, that Luke taught, and they were in Cornelius' house. Peter preaches the gospel. The Holy Spirit falls. People get saved. Right? Gentiles get saved. And so that's his first argument. He's referencing the fact that, hey, why, why are we, like, like, nobody had a problem with this 10 years ago when all this went down in Cornelius' living room. Nobody had a problem with it then. Why do we have a problem with it now is ultimately what he's saying. Because God, he says, God knows the heart. Right? We don't know the heart. God knows the heart. And he gave them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. So he's, he's trying to point them to a time past when this, when this happened already, and why are we bringing this back up again? His second part of the argument is, 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 really, is really beautiful in the fact of, he's saying, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Basically, he's saying their fathers couldn't do it. We can't do it. They can't do it. No one can do this. So why are we putting this on them? They haven't been brought up in this. But people that have, have learned and, and been saturated in this their entire lives can't live up to the standard. Why would we even think for a moment that they could? Right? Because he's, he's pointing out the fact that we're, we're, all, we're all thieves. We're all liars. Right? We all covet we do all these things. We're all addicts. And when I say addicts and I say addiction, the first thing people, people go to is, is drugs and alcohol, right? That's the first thing. But, but reality is, that may be a, that is a true struggle for some. But the reality is we're, we're addicted to self. Right? Does everybody agree we're addicted to self? I mean, selfies, right? Facebook, Twitter. I mean, there's even a, I just, I just stumbled upon this. There's a, there's a new app called Periscope. Has anybody heard of this? So, so Periscope is, a, is basically an app within Twitter that lets you see real time into my life what I'm doing right now. How is that not even further 
into the addiction of self. Like, I, I want you to see me eat the muffin. It's not, it's, not a, it's not enough for me to take a picture of it and post it to the world. I want you to see me eat it, right? Look at me eat this muffin. Selfie sticks. I mean, come on, right? Addiction, addiction to self. It goes way deeper than any drug or alcohol. It goes to our heart. It goes to our self-image, right? Even this morning, Wes patted my hair. I'm growing my hair out. Does anybody notice? Anybody notice? Growing my hair out, right? Wes patted my hair. And I was like, hey, hey, hey. Right? Don't, don't touch my hair. Somebody's laughing at that. You know what I mean? Like, and that's because I've got this, this thing about me, my image, about being up here, what I look like to people. Right? I mean, we're lazy. We're gluttons. We, we just feed ourselves. Right? I'm not just talking about food. Think, think beyond food. Think we ingest what the media gives us. We lose sight of God. We get frustrated. We're frustrated with others because, because we're constantly trying to prove ourselves. But if we remember, God is gracious. So we don't have to prove ourselves, right? And that we just came out of learning about the, the four G's. Listen, lights. Grace for lights this morning. I have a lot of grace for lights. I don't have grace for house centipedes. And you don't have to have grace for house centipedes either. Just FYI. All right. So let's keep going. Verse, uh, <clears throat> verse 13. It says, after they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. So James, Jesus' brother, he goes Old Testament on him, right? For his name. He's using Old Testament language. He says, and with the words, with, with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles, all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Okay, so he, so James goes old school. He pulls out and quotes Amos, Jeremiah, and Isaiah to relate to, to, to the debaters, to relate to these Pharisees and the, and the Jewish Christians that are, that are up in arms about this. He's proving and he's, he's trying to establish that God is doing this. God, God already told us he was going to do this. Why is this a surprise to us? Why are we like, why are we taken back by this? He says, I will return. I will rebuild. I will restore it. All the Gentiles call by my name. Right? So he, he, he's just pointing them back. Why are we fretting about this? Why are we even having this conversation? Right? God is already doing it. And then he gets into the, one of the biggest points, one of the biggest arguments in verse, in verse 19 or the biggest things is he's trying to establish how are we going to bridge the gap and have Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians do community. Right? That's ultimately what we're trying to establish because we've established or James will establish for us that, that they're not, they're not going to put this weight on these Gentiles. So now we've got to figure out how we're going to get them to do community with one another. Right? How do we get the guy with the sensitive nose to do community with the guy that smells like soup? Right? Just FYI. That's where we're going. So verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. 
For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Okay, so we're talking about community here. We're talking about, he's talking about doing life with these people. How are they going to do life together? How are they going to, how are they going to make this happen? And the, the, the definition or the reality is, is that community should look like grace. Right? Your communities that you're in, and I'm not just talking about your, your calm groups and your living rooms. I'm talking about your work. I'm talking about your job. How do you extend grace to others when they don't necessarily agree with you? How do you do community in light of differences? Because we let things, we let things get in our way, right? And, 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 and also establish a relationship. I mean, there's a, there's, a re, there's a whole relationship thing going on here. There's a, there's a relationship between, between, these, between, these, uh, between these Jewish Christians, the Gentiles. There's, just, there's a history with them. And so they're trying to really see how this is going to work and explain the differences and show people the difference, or these, these people, the differences between a contract and a covenantal agreement. Right? Because contracts say, you do these things, I do these things. And if either one of us, either one of us moves or, or misses the mark, it's over. That's a contract, right? But, but covenant says, I become this for you. Right? I lay my life down and I become this for you. The, the best illustration of this is marriage. Right? Of vows. And I know we're not, this text isn't speaking about marriage, but the best illustration I can give you for covenantal agreement is vows. And when you're looking at, when you're looking at vows and two people coming together, that's two people saying they're going to lay their lives down for one another. They're going to put their rights down. They're going to put themselves aside and serve this other person. Think about the vows. What do they say? For better, for worse, sickness and health, Rich or poor, right? When my wife and I got married, we, uh, we, we, weren't, we weren't saved, we weren't Christians. But when we went to the JP's office, right, we got married by Justice of the Peace. You judge me, it's fine. Got married by a JP. And he said, he said, do you want secular vows or do you want Christian vows? And we both said, Christian vows, right? Because we're not of the world, no, we're Christian. I mean, I would have claimed myself as a Christian. I would have called myself a Christian, now, we took those vows, and we believed them, but, but some of you know my story. Do you, think it, do you think at any moment, right, do you think at any moment we took those vows, for better or for worse, do you think at any moment my wife envisioned or even dreamed in seven years that I would walk out on her and my kids for another woman? Do you think my wife even thought that for a second? No. We were in love. Right? We were, we were entering into this covenantal agreement, whether we knew it or not. And eight years later, I would destroy our family, right? Only to have God rescue it and redeem it. And so marriage is a beautiful, beautiful part, beautiful, beautiful image of, of the covenantal agreement that God has with us, right? That's why he sent his son. That's why his son came to die for us. But what we, what we have is we get, this, we get caught up in this world of, of self. We get caught up in this, just this, this, this nasty, disgusting world. And we forget that covenantal agreement we've made as Christians with God to love others, to serve others, to be in community with others. Listen, some of us in here, and if you're listening, some of us, we, we need to, we're in a relationship with the world and we need to break up. 
right? We need to break up because we need some space, right? There are things in this world that have a hold on us, you know, like, like just an just a unhealthy relationship, an abusive relationship. Talk about the world and you. That, that's what some of us need to do. We need to break up and create some space between us and the world. But let's see what James, let's, let's keep going and, 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 uh, and go ahead and, and look at verse 22 in the actual letter to the Gentile believers. It says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them, <clears throat> send men among them, and then and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers, this is the letter now, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Celsea, greetings. Since we have, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So James has made a decision. He sent them with this letter back. And so Paul and Barnabas and these two other Judas and Silas, excuse me, leave and head back to Antioch to deliver this news. So that's, that's kind of what we're looking at. But the important, one of the, one of the crucial, or a couple of the crucial importance in the letter is, he says, although we gave them, in verse 24, although we gave them no instructions. So they're, they're laying, they're kind of drawing a line there saying, this wasn't from the elders. We, these men came to you. They told you this is what you needed to do to be saved. But understand, they're, they're, they're not speaking for us. Okay, we're, we're not, we're not, we didn't send them. So we see kind of a, a leadership model, right? We see the elders kind of saying, listen. This wasn't from us. And, and then they go on to say, kind of give Paul and Barnabas a little bit of street cred, right? It says, men who have risked their lives. They sacrificed much for the gospel and for Jesus. So, hey, listen, these other guys, you know, they, we didn't send them. But we're sending you two guys that have, that have risked their lives and been willing to die for the sake of the gospel. And then they very, very plainly list out the four, four things to abstain from. Sacrifice to idols from blood, been strangled in sexual morality. Abstain from these things. So we see in verse 30, they arrive. It says, so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time They were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching, preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So so they show up. They read this letter. They gather everyone together. They read this letter. And when they read it, they're excited. They rejoice. Right? They're, They're encouraged by it. 
And so really all that's happened here, what's, what's, what's going on right here when they get there, is they already knew this to be true, but they just needed to be reminded. Right? They needed to hear the gospel preached again. And some, sometimes that's what we need. Sometimes we just need to hear the gospel again. As simple as it is, we've been saved since we were three, four, five, you know, 15, 20, whatever that is. Yesterday, sometimes we just need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to hear it over and over again. And, and, and one thing that's really important I want to point out, I skipped this verse on purpose because I want to save it to the end. If you take it back, go, to back, go back to verse 12. If you read verse 12, it's kind, of, it's kind of a verse, in my opinion, that kind of stands out alone. It's unique. And I wanted to save it, save it towards the end, and I'm, I'm, I'm working on closing. But in verse 12, he says, And all the assembly fell silent. So this is just after Peter has really just, right, he's put it out there. This is when the part where Peter's laying out his arguments. And it says, And all the assemblies fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So in this moment, this, this, this beautiful moment has happened. Peter's kind of laid it out there, and then it gets quiet, right? So they've had a discussion. They've had this debate been going on, and everybody's quiet now. Nobody, everybody's looking at each other, right? And Paul and Barnabas begin to do what? They begin to celebrate. They begin to brag on God. They begin to tell, tell the stories of what they had seen. They begin to, they begin to celebrate what's happened, and I think we forget to do that sometimes in community. I think sometimes we take this, this, this posture, this, this arrogant posture on, on things in the Bible that, that are secondary. And we forget to celebrate the moments that God has done in our lives. The work that he's done through us and wants to do to others through us, right? I think we forget that. We forget it in community. When we're, when we're trying to walk out community practically, we're in our living room. So what do you so what do? You do? Right? What, do you, what do you do when you're sitting across from the guy that smells like soup? What do you do? Or you're sitting next to him. What do you do? Do you maybe talk to him and ask him why he smells like soup? Do you ignore it? you just remain frustrated week after week after week after week? What do you do? I think what we see here in this, in this text is they were frustrated. Paul and Barnabas were frustrated. And they take, it, they take it to the elders. They take it to their leaders, right? They, they talk. Sure, they had a, they had a tough debate. It says no, no small debate. They, they talked. It got, it, maybe it got rowdy for a minute or two. But I think we would save ourselves a lot of frustration if we would just ask questions. If we're frustrated with something or someone, right, just extend a little grace. Take a moment to kind of just, just let, that, let that sink in and say, okay, what's, what's going on? in this person's life, right? Maybe I just need to pull them aside and have a conversation with them, not confront them, right? I'll give you a really, really poor example of how I, how I really didn't extend grace in a moment that I'm not proud of, but I want to share it because I think it means a lot. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull up the, 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 the discussion and the debate that's in the church. Every church I've ever attended, been a part of, or seen, right, is alcohol, can you or can you not drink alcohol? Is it a sin? What do we do with it? Right? And so a few months ago, we had a couple in our living room that we were having a conversation with, right, from this church. And this came up. This discussion came up about can you or can you not drink alcohol? Right? And this, and this person, he disagreed with me. He disagreed with my stance on that. 
And my opinion is, sure, you can have a glass of wine. Sure, you can, you can drink a craft beer and enjoy it, right? There's a, there's a line. There's a, there's, a, there's a part when it becomes an issue, right? And so we were having this conversation, and, and he disagreed with me. He didn't, he didn't see it my way, right? And what I was trying to do was, you know, at first it was a, it was a very genuine conversation. We were just kicking it back and forth, and, and, but I wasn't, he wasn't hearing me, right? I was like, come on, no small debate, right? So what I thought in all my magnificent glory, right, that would be the, to prove myself, right, because God isn't gracious. I go to my pantry, uh, he's talking, uh-huh, yeah, I get it. And I got a bottle of wine, and I walk back over, and I set it on the table in between us, and I sat down and just, uh-huh, yeah, I get it, right? Is that gracious at all? I mean, how, I was, I was trying to prove my point, let him know, bro, you don't know you don't know. You don't get it. Right? That was, that was so bad. Right? That was such a poor example and a poor, just a way to deal with that conversation. And I've apologized and repented. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it, we're, we're good. There's no, there's no beef in between us. But know that, that I could have probably done a little bit better job in that moment, don't you think? Of extending some grace for somebody that disagreed with me on a subject that that truly, unless we're talking about somebody that's just is walking out addiction and, and there's a big problem, which we, neither one of us struggle with that, I could, have, I could have handled that a lot better. I'm not proud of it. But when we're in community, when we're, when we're, when we're living missional, when we're living missional in the city, how are we going to extend grace? What does that look like? Maybe it looks like a conversation. Maybe it just looks like a talking to, asking questions. Kevin Gentry taught me that. Kevin Gentry has taught me a lot since I've been at Legacy. And one of the biggest things he's taught me is to ask questions. Before you confront or before you sit silent and let it fester, you ask questions. Right? Ask questions. Because there's probably something going on that you're not aware of, that you don't know about. So today, when we're leaving, and I promise I'm, I'm closing. But today, when we leave, when we're leaving, and we're going out in the city, and today, when you're, when you're at home... It'd be a good idea to maybe sit down with your family and examine and, and find out what you need to break up with today. What is your, what does your life look like? What do your relationships look like? Not just personally, but, but with things. What do you need to break up with today? Give yourself some space so that you can focus on community, mission, God, right? Those are things that are, those are things that we need to focus on. They're important, you know? All right, let's pray. <clears throat> God, I just, uh, I thank you for today, God. I thank you for the ability to, to be here. God, to preach your word. God, I thank you for the hearts and the lives that are here, that are gathered today, the, the families, the ones that aren't in here, God, that are in the, the nursery and, and, and serving um, in other capacities with security and and other things. God, I just pray for, for those. I pray for, I pray for the, the lives that we'll touch this week. These people that are in here today, when they go out this week into the city and they're in their calm groups and they're, they're, in, they're, they're on mission in the city, God, I pray that you're with them. I pray that they, that they seek you, God, that they, 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 they yearn to see you clearly. God, I pray that they develop a relationship with you, that they lay, lay things down that we would lay, that I would lay things down, God, that are taking my eyes off of you. God, and then I just pray for relationships and, and extending 
grace in those moments when we don't extend grace. God, even the silly ones, the things that frustrate us that don't matter necessarily to you, God, or to us, they shouldn't. But God, I just pray that we, we extend grace, we ask questions, we talk. God, we, we, we attempt to learn from others, God, that we can learn from, from you as much as learning from others, God, about you. And I pray that we just have those moments, God, that you open up hearts and minds to, to just experience those things. But God, I'm just thankful for this, for this church, God, these people that are gathered here today, uh, these friends. And I pray, God, that now we, we worship, God, that we enter into a time of, of, of worship and praise and song with you. God, I just thank you for your grace, your love, and your mercy. It's in your name we pray. Amen.